0: restaurant unstoppable episode Three Zero Eight. One last thing about the investors
1: then you got to interview those investors because now they're in it just like your partner they are your partner i have always referred to my investors as my partners they are my business partners so when that person's coming into that restaurant on a friday night and you're busy and they're acting like they own the joint and they're being disrespectful you can't fire them they're your investors So you can't tell them to leave. You can't tell them it's not working out. You have to really, really respect. And that investor group has to understand the ethos and the culture of what it is you're trying to create.
0: Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. (laughs) Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you. Regain control of your business and your life with restaurantowner.com. And if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable, you will get a 10 day pass for only $1. Get on it. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is click the tipsy banner in the show notes get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef dave query chef are you feeling unstoppable today
1: Completely unstoppable. It's Friday. Everything (laughs) happens on a Friday.
0: All right. So Chef Dave Query got his start in the restaurant industry at the age of 15, working at a hot dog stand. Uh, He would go on to graduate from the CIA in 1985. By 1988, at the age of 25, he would be a restaurant owner. In 1994, Chef Dave would go on to be the founder of the Big Red F restaurant group. And 22 years later, Big Red F is operating a total of 12 restaurants, with which consist of six unique concepts. So, man, you got a lot going on, Chef. Um, let's just get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us?
1: A success what
0: mantra? Uh, success quotes or mantra.
1: Oh man, let's come back to that. That's a that's a loaded question. I, I, I'm not a, I'm not that quick draw on those big those big power statements like that.
0: You know, I I think I have one uh, that I found, and why don't I share it and you tell me what you think, and we'll just clean this up later. All right, um, I was reading uh, restaurantowners.com or sorry restaurant owners on court and uh, a mantra I came I came across from you was offer the unexpected. Does that ring a bell?
1: Yeah, so Offer the Unexpected, um, you know, translates, I probably said that 10 years ago. And I probably said it the first time 30 years ago. It's just, and it's, and it's. and it will be part of tonight's pre-shift at one of the restaurants. It's, um, you know, the us come and pull on a door, any door. Once we have them in the restaurant, in the dining room, they're not shopping anymore. You know, they're not going to come in, sit down, look at the menu and go, oh, you know, we're going to go next door and see what they've got. Maybe we'll come back. Maybe we won't. They've made the effort. They've made the commitment. They're here, so everything after that moment of them pulling on our front door is our opportunity to provide the unexpected, great service. The uh, the music uh, is just dialed in, exactly what they want. Um, we're bringing them little tastes. We're bringing them little surprises. As soon as they say, I wonder, every time a customer says, I wonder, there's an opportunity to say, try this, try that. You know, I heard you say you wish you'd ordered the shrimp. Here's a couple of shrimp. I heard you say you wonder what the beer tastes like. Here's a little taster of the beer. Just always giving the guests the
0: unexpected. Awesome. Makes a huge impression. I love it, Jeff. And uh, I gave the listeners just a real, you know, aerial view of the journey you took to get to where you are today. Um, But like, just tell us a little bit more about the, uh, the current restaurants you got going on and what your business is all about. And then we'll kind of paint the picture of how you got to where you are.
1: So we have 12 restaurants. We just opened the 12th about three weeks ago, which is called Post Chicken and Beer. Um, we opened a brewery in Lafayette, Colorado called the Post Brewing Company. After that, the last two restaurants we've done have been little offshoots of the Post Brewery called Post Chicken and Beer. Um, little fried chicken and cold beer joints um fireplaces burning real big emphasis on music and uh getting people in and out uh, at the time and the speed with which they want to be um the first of the big red f restaurants was the zolo grill that opened in march of 94 in boulder um southwestern food at the time jimmy schmidt was doing his thing with the rattlesnake club and michael's in santa monica and Uh, Brendan Walsh at Arizona 206 in New York City. Southwestern food, the foods of sort of the the four corners, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and Colorado. Um, There was a bit of a trend going on. Since then, you see very few uh, Southwestern-focused restaurants. It's not Mexican food, which we run into a lot with people saying, where's the burrito? Where's the quesadilla? Where's the nachos? It is the food of the American Indian and and, uh, the pioneer people of the Southwest, and so um, that's a 24-year-old restaurant at this point, um, huge tequila emphasis, margarita, um, and especially tequila, over 120 tequilas wow. offered uh, in tasters and by the glass and, and infused into margaritas. Um, after that, the same year in 94, opened Jack's Fish House uh, in Boulder on the Pearl Street Mall. There are five Jack's Fish Houses now in Boulder, uh, lower downtown Denver, Glendale neighborhood of Denver, which is near Cherry Creek. Uh, Fort Collins, and we opened one in Kansas City, which is our first and only out-of-state venture. Um, We have the West End Tavern, which is a 30-year-old restaurant. Um, We've owned it for 14 of the 30 years. Um, It is a a bourbon barbecue burger joint. Um, old school, iconic downtown Boulder restaurant, very popular with CU students. So we get a lot of alumni, uh, repeat business, and a lot of new students, parents, and just kind of a, an easy going favorite of a lot of Boulder people. Right on the same block, uh, West End Tavern and Jack's Fish House, the original Jack's, are literally share a wall. They're right next to each other. Three doors down is uh, Centro Mexican Kitchen. Um, That's been there for 12 years, 11 years now. Um, Before that, it was a restaurant we had called Rumba, which was a Caribbean joint, and we rebranded it after 10 years as Rumba to be, uh, now it's in its 11th year as Centro. Uh, real easy going, indoor-outdoor bar, right on a pedestrian part of the Pearl Street Mall, so a lot of foot traffic. We have uh, salsa music on the weekends, people just dancing their butts off, and drinks are flowing, big uh, tequila and rum, rum program, great weekend brunch, uh, really airy, indoor-outdoor kind of a place, easy to fall into and throw back some margs and, and have some fun. Uh, In Denver, we have Lola, L-O-L-A, which is a coastal Mexican restaurant slash Mexican fish house. Uh, Big, heavy emphasis on ceviches and poques and oysters. A lot of different uh, fish, caldos and whole fish and all different kinds of fish preparations, as well as a lot of the land um, and regional specialties that uh, Mexico has to offer. It's endless. And, um, and I think that makes up the list of the 12 restaurants,
0: man, you got a lot going on and I can't wait to kind of paint the picture and you know, shine a light on how you got from having one restaurant, uh, down a long 10 mile dirt road to having this empire that you built for yourself, a total of 12 restaurants, man, you must've learned so much along the way and I can't wait to extract what you've learned, but let's talk about, um, when you knew that this, industry wasn't going to just be a for now job working at a hot dog stand. Like when did you commit to this industry?
1: Well, I think pretty early on, you know, I graduated in the top 5% of the bottom 95% of my class out of high school. So um, it was clear it was either going to be landscaping or cooking and um, cooking is what I gravitated towards. It allowed the freedom to, um, to travel any place that you ever went. That was nice. There was always going to be a resort there. So did the whole, uh, mountain ski, ski lodge thing, working at a ski area. And, um, once I committed to going to the culinary Institute, um, that was when I was for sure hooked. I certainly was very into cooking before that, but once that first day of class, when you're at the culinary Institute and you're surrounded by, you know, this, this history and this legacy of, of cooking and food and and the desire to be a chef, uh, I was eat up for sure. So that was, that was the nail in the
0: coffin. So let's dive more into that, Chef. Like, what was it about uh, cooking uh, specifically that led to you to take this investment to, to go to the CIA? Because it's not a cheap investment. There's a it's a big commitment. It's not easy school to you know attend. It's challenging. So, what was it that pushed you over the edge exactly about uh, cooking?
1: Well, when I had that first job at that hot dog stand called Mustard's Last Stand in Boulder, um, there was something about handing food across a counter at which that was a counter counter kind of a gig and um it it just uh the as simple as a hot dog and great french fries and people just going oh man that was great Mm. thank you so much and the ability to engage and the constant frenetic nature of any restaurant, be it a small hot dog stand or one of my joints or La LaBernadine and everything in between, it is the craziest occupation you can ever choose to be involved with it. And every day is different. You're surrounded by people. The whole industry uh, is is the platform of a successful restaurant is all about the people, both the people who work there and the people who pull on the front door. And so... It's just, uh, there's there's just never a dull moment. There's, there is never a project that's going to take three months to do. And, you know, you're just grinding through it or a one year long event that you get involved with in a certain industry or occupation. Um, it is every day at 11 o'clock. If you serve lunch, it is every day at four o'clock. If that's when you open and you are, you are set for success. And if yesterday sucked, today can be great. Tomorrow can blow. Um, every day is just a, a complete and, uh, and, and, and wide open blank slate for how successful you hope you can be and then how successful you and your team uh, can pull it off. And, and then those guests are walking out the door and just being like, wow, this was, this was truly fantastic. And, and that comes back to that, 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 uh, just that serving of of uh, being able to do things for people. You know, everybody comes very rarely to people say, Man, I'm really pissed off. Today sucked. I'm in such a bad mood. I just want to go out and be angry. I want to go to a restaurant. Everybody who's coming, they're celebrating a birthday, an anniversary, a friend is in town, they're getting divorced, they're getting married, somebody died, somebody was born, you know, 99% of the time people are walking into your restaurant, they're there to truly just have a great time. Mm. So it's fun to be in an industry where your whole customer base is coming, by and large, for the most part. You get these random rogue people who truly are out just to have a bad time, and and therein lies a challenge as well to, to turn them around and to really, you know, it's, it's way more fun to, to turn around a customer who uh, enjoys being a pain in the ass than sometimes it is somebody who just came in giggling knowing they were going to love it. So every day presents a great challenge, and it's really fun if you're paying attention um, to, to meet the challenge.
0: I just want to to dive deeper into one thing you just shared with us, because I think there's so much value there. And you were talking about how in this industry we, we get to make our life about, you know, providing this this place for people to celebrate and to, to be a part of just creating happiness and all that was great. But then you went on to say just recently that, and even sometimes we have people that come in there that are just miserable. How do you, in your head, um, allow that, person who or to not allow that person to to bring you down how do you just look at that opportunity to to be a challenge to take on a new challenge like so many people i feel like they get so discouraged they get so angry at just miserable people how do you stay positive
1: well it's you know it it all depends on the level of misery of this individual (laughs) who's coming in to just really be a pain in the ass and and there are those people that just that's their goal they just they They come in, the first thing they say, oh, I'm a chef. It's like, well, that's awesome, great, congratulations and welcome. But they're not saying that to to join in the brotherhood. They're saying that to, you know, you better do your best because I know better than you uh, what I'm talking about. We just got a Yelp review yesterday. It was a great Yelp review. It was five stars, and this guy, the very first line, I am a chef, and therefore I base every experience when I eat out as to whether they can do a better job than I can. And then he went on to say some other sort of ego based thing. And it's like, wow, man, like, uh, who are you that you that's your first foot forward, you know, that you just it's it's confrontation first. And then then we'll see where we go from there. But, you know, you're going to have those people. Sometimes it's who they are and they come in and they're in a really bad mood. And it's not about them just always being that way. They've generally had a really shitty day. The traffic was terrible. They had to wait for a long time to park. They got bad news from their kids. Their wife hates them. Their job, their boss hates them. Things are not going well in this person's life. They are genuinely in a bad mood. What a great opportunity for us to figure out how and and what they're going through and for us to um, lean more towards the hospitality side of what we do rather than the service side. The service side just says, this person's in a bad mood and I'm not really going to go out of my way other than... To, to do my job the very best I can. They will not need water. They will not need to look around or turn their head for me. I'm going to get them their food on time. I'm going to make their order perfect. I'm going to place it perfectly. Their temperatures, their special request, everything's done. That's service. Hospitality is, hey, man, you seem like you're having a bad day. Like, what's going on? Mm. And they look at you like, are you for real? You really want to know that? Did you really just ask me that? And it's like, yeah, because that's what we're here for, Restaurant tour you know, the very genesis of the name is to restore a restorer. Like we're, we're any restaurant that's taking it seriously. We're an oasis. We're a safe, safe place. We're a place that, you know, you can come and we will do our very best to, to be invisible to you and to just, to just get you exactly what you need and not engage or to make your day with the level of engagement that we're prepared to go to. So it's a challenge to, to, um, deal with really crusty and uh, bitter and disgruntled customers, but it's what we signed up for. Mm. So there's nothing better than to have somebody come back to the, to the pass or you're sitting in the wait station. i like, man, this person at, you know, 42 is really difficult. And then we all kind of are like, all right, well let's, let's pound that. So then the manager stops by and says, Hey folks, how are you guys doing? You know, so glad you chose us tonight
0: the manager gets
1: dismissed you know just almost with a wave of a hand and they're like whoa yeah they are tough. <laughs> and then the busser comes up and the busser knows to make eye contact and say you know uh, just politely hi how are you um so and so uh, if there's anything you need, please help. And they, they get brushed off, too. Then, you know, there's a general sense that the house is trying and and that we're in it to, to win it and to, to get this customer feeling good. And then the food comes out and they enjoy it and the timing is good. And, and we keep coming by and saying, hey, you know, we really hope you've enjoyed everything. Is there anything else? We, we brought you a little taste of this and we noticed that you or overheard you mentioning this. And so here's a little sample of that. And, and, you know, at the end of the at the end of the two hour experience if they're still in a bad mood we've done our very best you know we've tried and we've tried to engage this person's just in a bad mood more often than not we've turned it around and they've lightened up a little bit and then once we see that little crack in the armor then we just go hard and then it's like man you were really you were you were in a really shitty mood when you walked in here glad to see you're feeling a little better and they're like oh yeah i guess that was kind of noticeable i mean people are human and and if there's anything we do to a fault, we talk really straight and directly to our customers. <laughs> and um, not disrespectfully and, and certainly not crossing any boundaries, but we're really straight with them. And, and more often than not, we find that very human approach uh, always works out pretty well for us, that we, we can pretty much turn anybody who's in a really pissy mood um, at, into a really good mood by the time they leave.
0: Dave, Yes, man, I'm loving this. And I mean, you're going to experience these people who just suck and don't let them like don't let them just take control of your emotions. Like don't let them skunk you out. Like you can either choose to let them get to you and bother you and just lose that table. Or you can choose to do everything in your power to try to make that person's day better. Why not take that approach? Why not? Why not see the world through that lens? Like you and everyone around you will be better off. And it's up to you to make that decision. I love it, chef. Um, great stuff. And then so. there's
1: that moment, <laughs> then there's that moment where you have to fire you have to fire a guest. You've mm. tried, they come in, they're somewhat of a regular, every time they come in there's a problem. Mm. This wasn't cooked correctly. That's not what I ordered. It's drafty. The music's too loud. Could you please turn the lights down? You know, just constantly. And there's a moment and it happens, you know, once a year, once every other year where i have to just quietly sit down with this person if they're with another guest i'll wait till the guest goes to the bathroom or i'll find a way of contacting them outside the restaurant and i'm just like hey this isn't a good match you know you are continually disappointed with your experiences here and i think for both of our sakes it'd be best if you just gave us a break for a while Mm. so you're not saying please don't ever come in but you're letting this person know that wow if I really sit back and think about it, I've been in there 10 or 12 times. I am kind of a jackass every time I come in there, the staff has gone way above and beyond. And now the owner has asked me not to come back in for a little bit, just to give us a break so that we can see if we can realign the next time you come in, if somehow we can figure out how to make you happy. Cause the last 12 times you've been in, you've been nothing but just entirely difficult. So doesn't work for you clearly. And now it doesn't work for us. So, so it's kind of funny, you know, the customer's always king and the customer's always right until they aren't
0: and then yeah. you have to
1: make that, make that call.
0: So uh, when, when, or where do you know to draw the line? Like wh- where do they go too far? Like where should we, what standard should we set to say, you know, they cross this line. This is, this is too far. Like, what does that look like for you? And when, you know, when is, is going too far, going too far?
1: Um, real, real, Explicit rudeness, you know, somebody being really rude or really loud or really pushy or just really stepping over their, the boundaries of just normal, respectable behavior in public. That's, that's, that's the flag. We will sometimes go to a table where people are just having fun and they're dropping F bombs and they're just, they're oblivious to the people around them. That's different, you know. And so, so we have a yellow card behind the bar. And uh, much like on a soccer field, when things get out of control, we'll walk up to the table. And we will, uh, we'll throw a yellow card on that table. And, um, you know, they get it. And they're like, we'll say, you know, don't make us pull out the red. And so people will tone it down. Um, but there's other ways in which we just can't tolerate, um, people with really bad language talking to a hostess. Mm. Um, it's really busy. People dropping, um, dropping their name. It's, you know, somebody that comes in, um, when you're in a small town, small area, Denver, Boulder. Um, and I grew up in Boulder, so people know me. And, you know, sometimes they'll come in and, you know, I'm a friend to Dave, FOD is what everybody calls it at the the front doors of all the restaurants. I don't have a single friend that would ever walk into one of our restaurants on a busy night and say, I'm a friend to Dave, can you give me a table? He would like you to do that. So whenever anybody drops the FOD, we know that that's just kind of them throwing their weight around. So just general douchebaggery coming in and, and, um, you know, being inappropriate. Um, Obviously, if anybody ever touched or grabbed or pushed or, you know, was getting a little aggressive, they're out the door pretty quickly. Um, and all of our joints are pretty respectable. It's not like we own a bunch of, of uh, hillbilly cowboy bars where there's, you know, honky-tonk bands and fights going on. But, you know, people, you it's an interesting industry. I have a bunch of people that own different kinds of businesses, and I always say, you know, just uh, take your worst customer and give them four cocktails and then – deal with them. And that's (laughs) what we have to deal with. Sometimes it's alcohol brings a whole new level of, uh, customer engagement, um, nightly. So you have to be a peace officer and psychiatrist and, and, uh, and doorman at the same time. Sometimes I mean,
0: yeah, just to summarize, uh, to to put what you said into a few words i think whenever uh you know how far is too far whenever the dignity or the, the dignity of your team or other guests is at jeopardy whenever that person is going to i mean you got to put your, your team first if if they're just being disrespected and their their dignity is you know just being sucked out of them same with the guests like you can't let that person do it anymore it's not fair to everybody that they're, they're, you know that surrounds them and the other thing i want to point out that i think is really good that you do and that you mention is you, you pull people aside you never do it at the table, you always, you'll find a way to do it like not during the, like the middle of dinner service or to the side of dinner service. Why is that so important?
1: Well, it's way more effective. And I think we you know whenever you see a police officer approach a crowd, he's going to have a lot more difficulty rationalizing with eight people who are worked up than pulling one of them to the side. So, um, for the dignity, for the dignity side and for the effective and you know, quick nature of what we need to get done. It's always easier to pull uh, somebody aside and it isn't always the person who's being the most obnoxious. Sometimes it's the person who's the least obnoxious at the table, who seems to be the most coherent and possibly has had less to drink and isn't, you know, being part of the problem to just say, Hey, you know, your group's really kind of uh, being a little strong uh, Mm. tonight or a little bold, a little out of hand. And they're like, yeah, I'm really sorry. This guy's, you know, just caught his wife cheating on him or he you know just lost his job or he's just that way all the time and it's like oh well, great let's take him out of here and let him be that way somewhere else because this doesn't work for us at the end of the day we always look at these restaurants as our homes we always talk about throwing a party at our house what do you do when you throw a party at your house how do you act how's the music how's the lights what's your general tone when you greet people into your house so we really do think of these restaurants as our homes and it's all about appropriate behavior in your home. Mm. Somebody's in your house acting like a jackass. They, they're they not going
0: to be there for very long. I, I love it. And just one final thought that kind of close up this topic. Um, even if this is the biggest asshole in the world and they have no respect for anybody, um, you still have to show them that respect of taking them to the side and being, you know, taking the high road. Um, you know, we always, you, you can't be, you, you don't respond to an asshole by being an asshole. You, you've always got to take the high road and you've got to try to keep your, your head cool.
1: Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, these are these are customers Mm -hmm. and they are they have a big group of friends and they have a big group of influencers. And, you know, they're going to wake up tomorrow after the dust has settled and say, wow, I was a little out of hand and I um, have a lot of respect for how that was handled. It's, it's often when these events happen and these events for us are pretty far and few between. They don't, they don't happen very often, Mm. but when they do that someone will call and say, Hey, I really appreciate how you handled that. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and I get that I'm not invited back for a while, but I look forward to when I can, you know, sweep back in again because I really like what you do. Mm. So it's, it's a very small part of what we deal with, but it is, it is a part of it.
0: Awesome. So I think the last time or the last thing we discussed as far as your timeline goes is uh, you graduated from the CIA. You spent like three years traveling all over the place, getting experience, which I think is huge. Uh, opened the Slick Skill in 1998 um, and... I want 88. Sorry, eight, 1988. And uh, I want to kind of compare and contrast the, the two openings from the skillet in 1988 to your first restaurant in the big re- uh, red, big red F restaurant group. Sorry. I don't know why I, I struggle saying that uh, Zolo grill. So um, wh- let's talk about that first opening. Like, how did you get the money and how did you go about uh, doing it? And how did it work out?
1: Well, the first restaurant was already open. Um, it had been open for two years. It was a little mountain cabin up in Gold Hill, 10 miles west of Boulder. And um, uh, so I started there as a cook. And soon after I started, um, the owner wanted to get out. And he owned the building and he owned the business. So the chef and I um, decided that we were going to buy it from him. And the sale price was 10000 bucks. So we each, um, I borrowed $5,000 from my grandfather and he borrowed 5,000 from his father and we opened. It was, um, a cash only business, dinner only. Um, and we did this brunch on the weekends. We would do like 450, 500 people for brunch wow. in this funky little 65 seat uh, cabin up in the mountains with mountain bikers riding up and people hiking and stopping in. It was a great, great, really fun scene. And so it was an ongoing thing. So it was easier to get into, but the cost of entry was, you know, at the all time low of $10,000. So that was a a really, um, an easy thing to get into because it was already up and running. Um, I left there and sold that to my partner and took a job as the executive chef of a restaurant called Cliff Young's in Denver. At the time, late '80s.
0: Can we slam on the brakes real quick, Chef? Because I want to dive yep. a little bit deeper. Uh, first, one thing I want to you know point out: uh, the power of being somebody's exit strategy. Uh, you know, like that is one way, a great way to get a great deal at a low cost. So, just being aware for those exit strategies, finding people who are just miserable in their restaurants and offering them, a, you know. Give them an offer. Who knows? Like those are like whenever you can walk into a turnkey operation and inherit all the equipment for. If people just want to get the f out, take advantage of that. Huge opportunities can come. And I oh, want every know.
1: every single time. Yeah. I mean, there's so many opportunities like that. that get are really creative, Yeah. Or a really smart bartender could look at an operation and see that the owner is struggling, know for a fact that they could do a better job than he or she is doing and take that opportunity to, to strike out and make an offer. Absolutely. Yep. Either for a partnership or for a complete, hey, let, let me buy this place.
0: Yep. Awesome. So yeah. real quick, what was it uh, that made you want to get out of that opportunity? What went wrong? Why didn't you stay with that restaurant?
1: Well, it was cash only, and uh, there was a moment when my uh, wife at the time and I walked into the office and saw our business partner shoving cash in his pocket, mm. and so we were like, "Hey, this probably is the time where we say we need to go," and uh, it's the only uh, business partner of that of that ilk of an actual operating partner that uh, that I've had um, in that 50/50 mode. Um, I have a lot of business partners now, people that work at the Big Red F who have jumped in on uh, restaurants and invested in the restaurants. But I have not since that moment had that sort of 50-50 thing. So it was a dishonesty thing um, that had happened. Um, And so then it became uh, you sell it to me or I'm going to sell it to you. And we were going to buy it from him, so he negotiated this sort of price that we felt was more than it was worth that we were willing to pay. And at the last minute, he said, oh, you know, this is all I got. I kind of want to keep this and he had unfortunately negotiated a price that was good for him as the seller but not as good as the buyer so he had to pay us that price so it worked out well
0: <laughs> so what advice do you have for somebody listening to this uh, who might be thinking about getting into business with a business partner what things do they need to be considering right now before they sign any papers or before they you know open the doors what what advice do you have for that person when vetting their business partner
1: you got to look at this person as a as am i willing to marry this person mm. you know with the exception of of uh, having sex with them, you're probably going to experience every single thing that a married person would, and and maybe even the sex part too, depending <laughs> on how it works. But uh, you're going to spend more time within them than you do with your significant other. You have to trust their judgment you have to love their, their, um, their ego and their attitude. If you're looking at going into a, a business relationship with someone and you're like, yeah, you know, he or she is great, but God, I wish, you know, they didn't drink so much, or I wish they weren't, you know, that some of the jokes they tell are a little, you know, dark and off color or, you know, whatever it is that you think is just a little bit not grooving with who you are, it will only get worse. You yeah. Know, because These early points are the when everybody's their best. These are kind of the first day moments when you start to say, Yeah, let's go into business with each other then you gotta step back and say, Okay, this person's gonna run around saying he's the owner of Joe's Bar and Grill and if the person he's talking to doesn't know who the owner is, they're gonna think it's me. So am I okay with this person being confused with me? Mm. Because that's what's gonna happen. Because the owner is the owner and nobody knows the names, they just know the owner.
0: So, uh, you know, you you kind of started this with saying, treat it like you're going to marry somebody. And people who were listening were probably chuckling. But, you know, really stop and think about that. Um, when you're marrying somebody, I mean, you respect them, you appreciate their values, what they stand for, their morals, who they are as a person. You're going to spend the rest of your life with somebody. And you're committed to that you need to have the same filter and you know, your, your, your business partner aside from maybe how you're physically attracted to them. But all those things like they are going to be a huge part of your life. You're going to spend hopefully the rest of your life with this person have the same standards. Uh, and it seems silly, Absolutely. but that's a, it's a great filter and a great question to ask yourself. Like, can I spend the rest of my life with this person? Do I love them as a business partner? Um, awesome yeah. stuff. Um, okay. So you, you were starting to talk about uh, getting out and then you were saying you took an executive chef role. Take it from there
1: an executive chef role at a restaurant in denver called cliff young's which at the time was ultra fine dining um you know as a very high ranking zagat restaurant and uh the diamond four-star winner derona and uh really really just kind of the pinnacle of one of the three or four high high-end restaurants in denver at the time and so really helped my reputation um, got my name out got my cooking ability established and uh, kind of gave me some cred that I could not only do the funky little mountain cabin, um, but I could also do the, the uber high-end um, dinner and pull it off and run a big staff and run a big restaurant. From there, I opened a restaurant called Q's in the Hotel Boulderado, um which was a tiny little 45-seat restaurant uh, upstairs above the lobby in the hotel. And, um, that was a fantastic experience again, for my reputation on cooking, we had one of the highest reviews and ratings, uh, from the Denver post and Westward and really kind of propelled me into the conversation as, as a guy who can cook and somebody who you should go have dinner with and then, um, decided to move out of Boulder and, um, sold cues and uh, moved to Traverse City, Michigan, and we were going to open coffee shops. There was like four Starbucks at the time, and we were on this coffee shop thing that that was going to be the future, and got up there and realized that we had made a mistake. We had a big reputation and a foundation in in Colorado, and um, we spent exactly 92 days from the time we bought our house in Traverse City till we sold it, put the furniture back on the truck, came back. Uh, Got back here in October of 93 and opened Zolo Grill, which was the first of the Big Red F restaurant group uh, in six months later.
0: Okay. So when you're going into this this new business, how much money did you have? Where were you looking for the money and how did you get it?
1: So the way I did it was I uh, wrote a business plan that included five restaurants. The first was Zolo. The second was Jack's the seafood joint. The third was a steakhouse, which never opened. The fourth was a diner, which we did open. The fifth was a vegetarian restaurant, which we never opened. But the plan was and the way that I to the investors is you're not investing in some little small mom and pop one-off restaurant i want to start a restaurant company and i want to do a group and i want to get a group of investors who have the wherewithal to do more than one um so it was a certain uh, level of investor that i was talking to i wasn't talking to my brother who could have invested in one but probably not in two uh, in the second one, six months later, um, and the same with other relatives and friends, I needed a, a, a deeper set of pockets. And I also, uh, one of the smartest things I think I did, which I continue to do is that when I did the deal with these folks, I gave them 90% of the ownership. So it ended up being five partners for the first restaurant. I raised 125 grand, which would be very hard to do in this day and age, but this formula still works no matter what the number. In this case, I raised I raised 125 grand, so I got $25,000 from five investors. I gave them each 18% of the business for a total of 90, and I took 10, but I didn't put any money in. So what that immediately said to them was, they know that I'm in it to win it because I'm not really gonna get the piece of the pie until they get their money back, and that was the deal. They get their money back, with 5% interest, 6 maybe at the time because the interest rates were higher, but maybe a point above prime, you give them the full control because if you write an intelligent operating agreement, you can have all kinds of parameters and, and guidelines in there for what they can and can't do. So I couldn't be sent home to examine my navel because the operating agreement gave me full control, mm. but it gave them financial control, oh, financial uh, distribution control, not financial control of the operations but if i was going to distribute a dollar in in dividends and profits 90 cents was going to go to them until they got their money back so then when i came to the group 6 months later and said hey we got an opportunity here i realized you all haven't even gotten a penny back from this joint yet but we got another operation here that we can take over an existing restaurant it's a good deal and again i raised 125 from each of them gave them 90% of that they were already enjoying the way that first one was being operated so they had confidence we could do it again. So in all the deals, that's how I've done them. It hasn't been as important to me to have majority. Um, Some of the restaurants that I own, I only own 40% of. Um, I'm happy owning uh, just a piece of a successful business. I'm involved with other businesses that aren't restaurant related, and as long as they're successful and the the money in is um, in, in line with the money that I can potentially make, I'm okay with that. I would have rather have owned one ten thousandth of Microsoft than a hundred percent of Dave's computer company. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like I I just was happy to be in them, and the pieces and parts make a great whole. But I've never been the one where it's like I gotta have that fifty one percent, or you know, I don't want to give any ownership away. Giving ownership away allowed me to do what I did because I didn't have an MBA. Um, i was a highly risky a restaurant business is risky a guy with no college education is risky um, i didn't have those skill sets that most investors look for in a potential invest uh, investment and so what they got was the confidence that they win before i do and if if they lose i've never you know i i've lost as well yes yeah. and the second the first one paid off and that switch happened it's a really great way and i have hold that scenario to many people who have had great success raising money underneath that, that platform of give the investor majority and let them win first. And you'll build a confidence and you'll v- build an investment team that is behind you. Mm, you, know, th- you know, you can go back to them.
0: <laughs> I was, I'm not gonna lie. When you said you, you gave up 90% of the business, I got a little scared. I was like, Oh my God, where is he going with this? But the one thing that I think is crucial uh, that I love about what you did that I, is, is you kept control over the operation and how things were going to get done. It's going to be your vision. Uh, everything was how, I mean, put into better words exactly what you did. What well, I'm these, people to say. Aren't
1: restaurant. these people aren't restaurant people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a limited liability company, which is what we have, which was what the business formation of all of our restaurants is, you have an operating agreement and an operating agreement spells how the restaurants are run, how the decisions are made, what the protocol is for certain way distributions are handled, taxes are handled, family transfers are handled, everything within the guise of running a business. And so those are all spelled out. And these folks were not restaurant operators, so they understood that the the basic tenets of running the restaurant were going to come under my call and things that uh, needed a vote um, then would coat a vote of 60 or 65% of the group. Um, the other benefit of that is in, in the LLC status, if you open a restaurant and you spent $200,000 to open it, and, and a lot of restaurants are LLCs, we were actually the first in 1994, Zolo Grill was the very first limited liability company liquor license application in the state of Colorado. So LLCs as restaurant um, entities are a relatively a new thing there had been a lot of llc's but not one in the restaurant format in an llc if you spent 200 grand to build the restaurant and you showed a hundred thousand dollars profit in your first year that 100k would go for paying off the construction paying off the opening debt you didn't have 100k in your bank you didn't put 100k in your pocket it just showed 100k in profit of which you spilled off to pay debts that hundred k in profit is taxed. That's your tax liability. So if you own ninety percent of that business in its first year and you show a hundred thousand dollars in profit, you have a ninety. You have a a, a tax deficit of thirty three thousand bucks, depending on your tax status. So it's phantom income that you never get. So all of a sudden you're hit with a thirty three thousand dollar tax bill on a hundred thousand dollars you never took. So that was another reason for me giving these wealthier investors the majority is they took a lot of that early tax hit, which in their cases, they all want it because they all wanted those write-offs. So in, getting with an accountant and talking to the accountant about how this all works um, in your particular situation, and not just in how you get the money in the first place, but how it affects you in year one, three, five with when these things start making money, um, you know, there's there's a lot of different ramifications. When you don't put any money in on your own, you have a higher, higher tax bracket because you're getting this money that the IRS deems free money. And so, you know, a thousand things that happen and, and get pulled into the equation of business ownership, not just restaurants, but anything, but having a really smart accountant on your team is great. And that's the other thing I'll add to that business proposal when I had that business plan with those five Um, business uh, restaurant ideas in that one plan. I had a really great team uh, far and above my pay grade, but I had one of the best accountants in Boulder who everybody knew. I had a great law firm and a a senior partner in the law firm who was my particular lawyer on the sheet. And I had a great um, um, insurance, local insurance guy who everybody knew. And so it really helped Um, again, for these sophisticated investors to look at this business plan and go, all right, well, here's this kid who seems to have some good ideas. But man, the team he put together of the accountant and the lawyer and the insurance group, these guys are pros. So um, they might be involved with them in other businesses. So the whole plan has to come together when you're soliciting people for money and read really professionally. And you got to take the time to put that business plan together, so that because you only get one strike, you know, you get one chance. You throw something at them that's really not pro and looks kind of shabby, and you can't go back and go, "Oh, I, I brushed it up," you know, "I polished it up." It's you're done. Mm. You drop the pass, and you're you're off the team. Man. So that first strike has to be really, really powerful and well put together. Wow,
0: man, it have so got to
1: have so much value to all those questions that are gonna to come to you. If somebody else writes your business plan and you really don't understand the numbers and you really don't understand what is in that business plan, if there was anything that impressed this group of investors that I got together on my team, it was because all of them just pounded me with questions. And I had answers to all the questions or I immediately said, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I will get the answer by tonight and I'll get back to you tomorrow. And some of the questions they asked, I'm sure were, weren't even relating. They just wanted to see how if I'd bullshit them or if I'd be honest that I didn't know what I was talking about. And and there again, that human direct honesty always wins the, the prize. Um, whether you're talking to customers or talking to investors, just you know, be straight with them. If you don't know what you're talking about, Somebody smarter than you is going to figure that out pretty quickly.
0: Man, if there's just three things I took away from this whole... Uh, everything you just shared with us. It's you know obviously that be straight, be respectful, be honest. Uh, if you don't own majority, get something in writing in the operation agreement that gives you control of the business to make your decisions so you don't lose control of that decision-making ability. Uh, and then get... You know, get with an accountant, get with a lawyer, spend money early on so you don't lose money later. Uh, it, it will come back to you. It seems like a big investment early on to, to pay for these resources to get these people on your team, but you will save money in the long run if you spend it early on. Um, we got to move on because unless there's something you really got to say, it sounds like you're chomping at the bit.
1: One last thing about the <laughs> investors. Then you got to interview those investors because now they're in it just like your partner. They are your partner. I have always referred to my investors as my partners. They are my business partners. So when that person's coming into that restaurant on a Friday night and you're busy and they're acting like they own the joint and they're being disrespectful, you can't fire them. They're your investors. Mm. So you can't tell them to leave. You can't tell them it's not working out. You have to really, really respect. And that investor group has to understand the ethos and the culture of what it is you're trying to create.
2: Mm. They have to treat your
1: employees with respect. They can't throw their name around. They can't call on a busy Friday night, expect a table to be ready. We have a whole set of guidelines for investor behavior and investor appropriateness that I established really early that, again, put them into understanding of how they fit into the puzzle. And um, nothing worse than having an investor who's, you know, drunk at the door, hitting on your hostesses. And it's like, oh, geez, this is worse than a bad partner. I can get rid of my partner. I can buy him out or he can buy me out. I can't get rid of my investor man, you're Unless just, <laughs> I buy that
0: you're dumping incredible advice on us and I'm loving every second of it. So we're running out of time. I, I just want to, you know, you, you've gone from this one location to now think, um, what was it? 12 total restaurants. If you could just, you know, impart one piece of knowledge on us on h- how to scale and how to uh, remove yourself from the day-to-day so you can then run a business. Like wh- what, what advice do you have for us before we move on?
1: Um, I'm not sure that I, that I have great advice on that cause I, I'm not in the day to day, like okay. the hardcore, you know, of the hiring and firing, but I'm certainly more in the day to day than I probably should be for someone that, that, that has a title of CEO of a restaurant company. Um, I get mired down in the day to day. Um, and that's the fun part of it. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't really have an office. I have an office, but I don't ever spend any time there. The office is the dining room or the kitchen, and that's where you need to spend your time when you're running restaurants. Okay. So as you scale, you have to have, you know, there's a lot of really successful restaurant companies I know that I have friends that run, and we're all kind of different. Some of them are super um, management intensive, uh, huge overheads, huge operating budgets. Um, a GM of a store is basically uh, spends three to three and a half days in the office doing all the paperwork, and they spend very little time on the floor. Our GMs spend five days a week on the floor, running a shift, uh, making it happen. Okay. On their days, they'll that most of them will have one of those days be an office day where they're spending you know a day during the day getting their work done, and then there's an assistant manager who will run the other two shifts if they're dinner only operations Um, we have director of operations that will manage and oversee five or six stores. Those guys work directly with me. So we have um, at Jack's, there's a culinary, there's an executive chef, culinary director, Sheila. She runs all the kitchens of the Jack's and the five chefs report to her. Um, There is a a director of ops, um, Adam Reed who will then run all the front of the house And they oversee the operations of the five jacks. And there's the same for the other stores, which we call the food group stores, which aren't the five Uh Jen and Jamie um, Fader is the executive chef and Jen Royals is the um, operations manager. So they're running all that. They're deep into the day to day and they're pulling shifts on the floor and getting into the restaurants and, you know, trying to remember everybody's name. But I'm in there. I'm not in there as much as I'd like to be. Um, there's an awful lot that happens when you have, you know, almost 800 employees and, and your are 12 restaurants and all the amazing amounts of things that happen every day that prevent you from kind of getting into the kitchen and just hanging out and cooking like you'd really like to, but um, it's different for everybody, but you, you know, it's just like with kids Two, you know, you have one kid and you're, you're, you double team it. You have two kids as parents. And you're man to man. You have three kids. You go back to the zone, and everything after that is just no sleep. Um, it does get easier with more. It was. It's easier running four restaurants than it is running one as a chef owner um, because you can afford to hire people to help you. Mm. So if you got one restaurant, you can't afford to hire anybody. You're doing everything on your own. You're answering the phone. You're taking reservations. You're doing everything. You get two. Um, it's a little crazy. You get three, you get four then all of a sudden you can afford to hire um, a good chef to run store. Number two, you can hire a good GM to run store. Number three, you can get a better accountant or a bookkeeper, or even in the caliber of a CFO who can help you organize all the stuff that ultimately 99% of chefs and restaurant owners don't really understand how to do that well anyway, Mm. but we try because we can't afford to hire that person. It's amazing. You can't afford to do it, and you can't afford not to. When you finally make the jump to hire those those positions where people are really pros at what they do, it costs a little more, but it frees you up. More time to do other things that you haven't been able to get to, which end up saving you more money than you trying to do the bookkeeping yourself. or, or even marketing. just
0: creating so, other channels of revenue just to make more money to afford to pay these other people. Um, time is money. exactly. Um, so time is money. In like three sentences, what was it about you compared to other restaurants that allowed you to track, uh, attract onto yourself such incredible people? Real quick, um,
1: I think I think luck has a lot to do with it. I think people just—it was the right time in the in the mid '90s, and it, being in Boulder, it was a lot of smart people coming out of CU, and there was a great culture. I think we threw killer parties. We had great staff <laughs> parties. I think a lot of people just stuck around year after year just to, just to go to the party. Yeah,
0: and. Uh, that helped what I'm hearing from you is like you got these incredible people, but then you showed how appreciative you were for these people. I mean, at the end of the day, people just want to be happy. That's the priority. If you can make people happy, if you can show your appreciation, if you can give them a great culture, a great place to work, they will be more likely to stick around and they will, this will attract more great people. Um, and I'm kind of trying to speed things up. So I know you have a hard stop in 15 minutes. Um, but before we go to the speed round, I just want to ask real quick, um, your, what's one failure? Uh, and, and I did make a note here that you had one restaurant fail, the blue plate kitchen. What was it? If you could just narrow it down to like a few sentences that went wrong with that concept.
1: Uh, I was going through a divorce and I just completely took my eye off the ball. Mm. It was a great spot. People still think it was one of the best, best places we ever had. They still talk about the food and how fun it was. But if you don't have your head in the game um, and you're not really in it to win it, and you're not paying attention, the, they're going to fail. Mm. Restaurants are just, they take daily, it's juggling ice. It takes, a, it takes constant, constant paying attention. And if it's not you doing it, then it's the person you hired to do it. But somebody's got to be doing it. And as soon as you stop paying attention, you're distracted and no one's watching it. it the ball's going to drop and it will shatter all over the floor.
0: Awesome advice. Great stuff. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to Restaurant owner restaurantowner.com. Com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant's Unstoppable listeners, you will get... The first 10 days for only $1 again. That's restaurantsowner.com/slash unstoppable. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy to access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month. And as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the tipsy banner in the show notes. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Chef, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
1: Uh, humility. Mm. It's really important that you're humble, that you talk to people with respect, that you walk with respect. It's not just when the cameras are rolling or when people are watching. You, you need to be uh, – humility wins the race all every time and no matter what business you're in.
0: And uh, I made a little note here to come back uh, to, to this question. And uh, you, you mentioned early on in this interview that you weren't great in school. Uh, you said you were the top 5% of the bottom, I think, 90% or whatever. it well, was. I can't remember exactly what you said. But um, what changed in your life from back then from being horrible in school to being so successful at life?
1: Nothing. Last night I had a dream. I woke up this morning in a panic that I was uh, at a test, not prepared. <laughs> Um, nothing has changed. I'm not a good student. (laughs) I'm a procrastinator. Um, everybody who works with me will tell you that, um, I am, I am not always the most prepared guy at the table.
0: Man, which just puts so So, much emphasis on what can happen if you are a good person, you have humility and you just treat other people. Well, you could, you can attract onto yourself the means and the resources to make it if you just treat other people well. It's a huge lesson to take away from that. And what is your biggest weakness?
1: Uh, procrastination, and, um, time management, most definitely time management. There's so much going on and I am, uh, uh, it's important to me to not waste other people's times, other people's time. It's important to me to never to get in a car accident where I would interfere with somebody else's day and, and, and you know, mess somebody else's world up. It really, um, time management's a huge, huge thing. I never want to get in anybody else's way of their progress. And I do a lot.
0: what is one piece of advice you have for leading others
1: for leading others? Yes, sir. Uh, I think just not being really honest with people, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, um, I'll, I'll hear sometimes and it drives me crazy. Well, I think he or she's going to quit. So I'm just going to, I think that's coming next week. If somebody's not right, let them go. It does them a service and it does you a service. Mm. Um, you know, it's just it's it's ridiculous that we're not more honest with with the performance in any business. Somebody's not right for the job; they got to go. No,
0: you know, I,
1: we're trying to win.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I heard something uh, doing these inter- I can't remember who said it, but you owe it to that person to let them go because by keeping them on your team you're not doing them any favors. They're not excelling. They're not going to be the best they can be in that spot. So why would you hold them back? Do it. We- and everybody else on your team.
1: Yeah. Do it for the- you exactly. somebody else. Exactly. Who they obviously know is the wrong person. So yeah. what signal is that sending?
0: Seriously, have a conversation with this person. Be like, hey, you're not working out here, but you know, I did notice these things about you. Have you considered this? Like, this is where you'd shine and I'm holding you back. I don't want to do that. Make it about them. Um, and it will go over much better. Uh, and, what is one question or thing you look for when you're looking to get new people on your team?
1: Uh, we'd really just hire for personality. You know, th- what we're doing is not rocket science. We love people that have experience. Sometimes people with tons of experience, um, are more challenging than people with no experience cause they're very set in their ways. Um, and they've, you know, they they've got patterns that are hard to break. So we just really super outgoing, intelligent, engaged personalities, And we can teach them how to work a door, we can teach them how to bust, and as they learn how to bust then they'll learn how to serve, as they learn how to work the door, they can get behind the bar. As they start to prep cook, they can line cook, but just great personalities, you know, truly outgoing, um, world-famous
0: personalities. Beautiful. What is a current challenge and how are you dealing with it?
1: Um. The labor situation is really challenging right now. Um, Denver, Boulder is, and Kansas City, where we also have a restaurant, really uh, huge growth of restaurants. And so the labor pool has been really tapped. It's very challenging finding good people. Um, and the millennial side of life, you know, when we were younger, uh, I'm 53, so when I was cooking, it was a while ago, uh, every day, all day in a kitchen. Uh, that was what you did. You know, cell phones didn't exist. When you got a phone call at work, you were terrified that somebody had actually called you at work. Now you got somebody sitting on a bucket in the back, you know, Facebooking and, um, you know, making plans, um, on their cell phone. So the work ethic has changed a little bit and that word work ethic, uh, the millennial, uh, caliber of employee that, that 19 to 28 year old employee, um, Just recently, I started saying to people that I think the word work ethic means two different things um, to an older uh, population of workers who worked really hard and put in a lot of hours to this millennial set where work ethic doesn't mean how hard they work. It means the ethics of the workplace. It means how are they treated, how are they respected, um, and are they respected? So we've had to tone back a little bit of our, this is the restaurant business, put your head down and get to work to how you doing today and you know it's a little it's a it's a kinder workplace uh under a millennial watch and that's only going to increase as time goes on it's not going to go backwards we are not going to all of a sudden have this hardcore industrial minded workforce that's going to be the next generation this is where we're at so we have to figure out how to um fit into the term work ethic for the future workers uh the ethics of the workplace rather than the, the employee's work ethic totally changed, changing i should say
0: yeah great advice and you know you're not going to change the way the world is working you can only adapt to it and if it means breaking old habits then you know if you're it's good if you're feeling uncomfortable and you're changing yourself i mean that that, that's that's what we all have to do to kind of get ahead is to make those changes to adapt to the industry and it's not going to be easy but it's not going to change so um beautiful advice Uh, what is one thing besides food your restaurants do really well that separates you from other restaurants?
1: We, um, we spend a lot of time giving back, so we have a couple different ways we do it. On the outside, externally, we uh, throw a lot of uh, benefits and fundraisers for charities. Every year, we'll pick two or three that we really want to pour our efforts into. Um, we've had events where we've raised over a half million dollars in a single night uh, with 200 people in a room, um, obviously wealthy people. Um, but we were able to give a group that helps um, families with uh, children with cancer $589,000 on a random Tuesday night in February, um, which was great. We, um, we will close the restaurants and hold events and give 100% of the proceeds um, to a certain charity. We um, do a lot of times where we'll do partial night sales uh, where we'll give it. We say yes to almost everything to a fault when somebody says Hey, we're having a benefit at the Boulder theater or, you know, the Pepsi center or somewhere where could you come and serve, you know, 500 people and serve some food and, and not just us, this whole community, Denver Boulder shows up. So there'll be 50 restaurants in there. When this happens all over the country, this isn't Denver specific, but we show up for almost everything that people ask us to the left-handed Vietnamese one-footed sewing circle. We're like, yeah, let's help (laughs) you
0: guys out. You know, so we,
1: we try and give back a lot internally we have something called the big red F family fund so every night at the end of the shift the server will throw a buck or two into this fund and um quickly because there's you know a bunch of employees doing this we've got you know thousands and thousands of dollars in this account we have a uh, representative from each restaurant uh from the front of the house and the back of the house they're on a panel they meet once a quarter and we'll hear some hard luck cases of you know employees who might have a a serious illness or they took a dinger and took a header over the handlebars on their bike, or they, you know, got into a car wreck or their somehow their house got burglarized or they got their, their bike was tied up out in front of, locked up out in front of one of the stores and it got vandalized. You know, we don't help with DUIs. We don't help with, you know, police matters that are somebody's, you know, being an idiot. We don't, we don't chime in on that, but it's a fund that has helped so many people that work in the restaurants and there's times when some other buddy that some bartender or server we know from another restaurant gets terrible news and then everybody will say yeah man let's help let's help him out let's throw some cash his way so it's a way for people who might not have the wherewithal to be directing cash to people Mm -hmm. who can direct cash to people and it's really uh empowering to all of us (laughs) Able to pick out,
0: <laughs> if out, I'm hearing out. one thing, if, if you take care of other people, they will take care of you. It's that simple. And we're less than four and a half minutes. Uh, and we have three questions. So we're going to bust through these next three. Uh, what's one piece of technology you have adopted that has made your restaurant more profitable, more efficient, uh, just better communication. One piece of technology. What is it? The abacus. Fucking awesome. What is that? Best thing
1: ever. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's uh. I don't know. I guess it would be the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Greatest invention in the world. It lets people um, you know, interact. It's also the biggest curse in the world and that it never gives you a day off. But um, it allows us to do business at a stoplight or in an elevator or you know, we get a lot done and we're all connected and so there's a lot of uh, lot of conversations going on all day long with managers and chefs and, and restaurant to restaurant and because is- of this t- is, technology that we
0: have is there a, a specific app you're using to, to to communicate or is it just via email no okay. just just email and texting got it uh, with all the knowledge you currently have if you could go back in time and give the past version of yourself one piece of business advice what would it be
1: get an mba oh. i wish i had a i wish i had a stronger business knowledge beautiful if i was a better businessman we would be doing we'd be doing a lot better we're doing great we'd be doing greater if I were a smarter um, businessman. On the other hand, I would have never made a l- lot of the choices that I've made because no intelligent business person would take some of the risks that most tours take <laughs> who don't know any better. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know that I'd be any further along, but I think we'd be smarter as a company, but I don't know that we'd be doing what we'd be doing because some of the things that I've done and the risks and the amount of money that's been at stake, uh, there's no way that a normal person would, would go that
0: way and what's one book uh that's a must read if you want to be a better restaurant owner or person
1: well a better restaurant owner uh raving fans um is a really great book by ken shepherd who also wrote the one minute manager um really really um really a fantastic uh tutorial for um for anyone who's trying to pay attention it's an easy book for a manager to read uh, it's, they're both very, very short and there's also the fish video, which was also, uh, Ken Blanchard was involved with, um, which was just a phenomenal book. And I think for people to get out of their head, still life with Woodpecker, um, <laughs> just stop thinking so hard and realize that there's a lot of different ways to do things.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, uh, man, you've been incredible. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out who's one person you admire in this industry and you think would be a great guest mentor for us.
1: Um oh my god, there's so many. Have you had Ari from Zingermans on? Yeah,
0: he was incredible. Anybody else?
1: Have you had your boy Rudy Mick on?
0: Yeah, he was awesome.
1: <laughs> um have you had um Peter
0: Karpinski on? Nope. Look out, Peter. I'm coming after you. I'd love to have you as a guest on the show. And I'm uh real quick, best way to connect. Website email or anything website. website big i'll have that yep. link in the show notes. Yep. this is episode three zero uh eight head over to restaurant slash three zero eight all the links will be right there dave thank you so much for joining us there is no question you are unstoppable on time we just finished beautiful <laughs> thanks E. this was fun thank you cheers <laughs> Whoa! Tons of great advice in today's episode. And every once in a while, we have an episode where, uh, you know, the guest just drops gold in something that has hasn't really ever came up on the show before. And I think today that happened when Chef gave us incredible advice on how he got his investors. I mean, I would have never thought to take that approach of offering ninety percent of. The total equity or total percentage of the business. And I mean, just how he went about doing that with getting the operational agreement and, you know, taking that approach of my investors know that I don't win if they win. And just, I mean, it's a weird approach. And often in the show, we get a lot of advice of, you know, always have at least 51% of the business. So you don't get, you know, pushed around by these investors but you can be smart about it you can set up your business as an llc and you can get these operational agreements in place so you can still maintain control of the decision making and um such great advice and i think also to the advice we got from chef on how to approach negative customers you know like take that as a challenge like Be positive. We can choose whether to let that person affect us or to take that opportunity and treat it like an opportunity to make someone's day, to turn them around. And then also, when did they go too far? When when do we draw the line and say, hey, you know, you just taking it way too far and we need to ask you to uh, leave and not be a customer for a little while. I think all the advice he gave us uh, was a unique advice that doesn't come up often in just nuggets we can take away and apply in our own lives so great stuff today guys i have to remind you please connect with me eric at restaurant shoot me an email i love hearing from you guys i'm on snapchat trying to get better about being active on snapchat at eric cacciatore Instagram at Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash restaurant unstoppable. And the best way to connect with me, the way I love to connect with my listeners is with with those 15-minute one-on-one chats. Those chats, uh, just getting to hear how the show has impacted you, getting to hear your pain points, getting to help you connect with my network. I mean, that's where I can be most effective. And plus just listening to those pain points helps me create content. Listening to your recommendations. When you guys know people that could be great guests on the show, I love connecting with you guys. Don't be shy. Um, and keep those five star reviews on iTunes and stitcher radio coming. Thank you guys. If you have left them, uh, your words are so kind and, um, I love what I'm doing. I love serving this industry and I love helping you guys become unstoppable. So thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.